This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. continue to take a look at uh, our series entitled Better Together, where we're talking about the importance of the local church. Uh, we cannot get by without the church. We need it. Uh, Jesus started it. He gave it to us to not only have a community to gather uh, in, but he also gave it to us for a way to, for us to grow. And really, the local church is the vehicle for changing the world. Uh, God wants us to go out and change our world that we live in, and the local church was the way that he designed for that to happen. We're taking a look at that uh, through this mini-series. Uh, I mentioned last week, we're going to go through this uh, mini-series on the local church for the next several weeks, um, and then we're going to kick off a brand new study through the book of Philippians. That's what we'd originally planned to do the beginning of this year, uh, go through the book of Philippians verse by verse. So if you'd like to study ahead or read ahead, feel free to read through the book of Philippians. We'll be getting into that uh, in the next several weeks uh, once we wrap up this mini-series that we're in uh, today. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to start in uh, verse number uh, 34. If you've never had the opportunity to read through the Gospels, you've got to read them. Uh, it's the story of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, tell the story of, of Christ uh, from four different perspectives. Uh, the first three, uh, just to help you out as far as your Bible knowledge is concerned, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell pretty much the same stories from different perspectives, and we refer to those as the synoptic gospels. Uh, basically, they, they repeat a lot of the same stories, just told from different perspectives, different point of views. They include different details. Uh, John kind of stands alone in the fact that the book of John, the gospel of John, uh, makes the, a very, very, very strong case for the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, and that's John's whole goal that he sets out on in writing the, the gospel of John. The Gospel of John includes uh, stories that you won't find in, in the other three Gospels. Uh, he makes the emphasis on certain things that aren't emphasized in the other three Gospels. And so it's just uh, neat to read all four of those. So if you've never had the opportunity to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've got to do it. It's the story of Jesus, and it will absolutely knock your socks off. Uh, really good stuff. But we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 22 here today, uh, starting in verse number 34. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence. They were gathered together. Now, two groups of people that were incredibly religious and really were enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, and the Pharisees were people who wanted to keep the law, not just keep the law, but add to the law. Uh, for example, they, they made up their own rules on top of the law. The, 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 the Word of God tells us in the, the uh, Old Testament that you should take the Sabbath day, Saturday, and make it holy, and that nobody should work on the Sabbath day. And so they had determined a calculation as far as how many steps one could take on the Sabbath day before it was considered, quote, work. And then they held everybody to that standard. Uh, and they would uh, uh, dress a certain way and would, would require uh, really a burden on people. Then he had the, and, and Jesus was an enemy of the, the Pharisees because the Pharisees wanted to justify themselves by their works and the good things that they could do. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing the point altogether. The point of the law or these rules was to show you that you're not good enough to keep all of those, much less the additional uh, rules that you tack onto that. And so the Pharisees were an enemy of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was preaching repentance and faith in himself. 
Then you have the group of folks called the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were those who actually denied that there could ever be a bodily resurrection of any sort, and so uh, they, they denied the resurrection of Christ himself, but also deny the fact that you and I one day will be resurrected to be with uh, Christ as well in a bodily form, and so they rejected the uh, resurrection of Christ. And so the Sadducees uh, rejected the resurrection of Jesus, and that's why they were sad, you see. That was, that was, you got to admit, that was good. All right. Maybe it'll go, be, go over better at the 10 o'clock. I don't know. Uh, but uh, that's the thing about having two services. You can tell the same joke twice and, uh, and get moderate last both times. Uh, but uh, if Pharisees and Sadducees, these were not friends of Jesus. Let's, let's just say it that way. And it's important to understand that the people that Jesus had the most problems with, the most problems with in his earthly ministry were religious people. Because religion tells you, stick to a system. Jesus says, abandon the system and run to a relationship. And so, and now it's again, uh, I've heard people say before, well, you know, I don't like church because I don't like organized religion and I get where you're going with that uh, and stuff. But, but we as a church are not a religion per se as much as we are a community that fosters a deep knit relationship with our Father. And so Jesus had the most problems with religious people. And so uh, religion often ruins the relationship. And so who did Jesus actually uh, spend time with that enjoyed his company? Uh, Sinners, uh, prostitutes, tax collectors, uh, people that people wanted nothing whatsoever to do with whatsoever. These are the people that Jesus gravitated to, and these are the people that welcomed him in with open arms. And so it's important to understand, uh, just by way of context of this, that you and I don't want to be known as Pharisees, those who uh, have a rule that has to be kept, and if you don't keep this rule, uh, then you're no good to anybody whatsoever. And we don't want to be Sadducees that actually uh, deny the truth of God's Word and and what the Bible tells us. We want to be tender-hearted, loving Christians. So, verse number 34, when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, one of the Pharisees, which was a lawyer, Asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now again, you have a group of people who their life is about the law. They're all about the rules. Uh, And so of all the rules that we have in Scripture, and sometimes we refer to the law as the Ten Commandments. Now, And the Ten Commandments was just the beginning of the law. Uh, There are hundreds of commandments that are found in the Old Testament. Hundreds. And so these guys, lawyers, uh, get together and and they say, hmm, let's trick Jesus and ask him which is the most important. Imagine asking a police officer, excuse me, officer, could you tell me what the most important law that there is on the books? Uh, He'd be dumbfounded, wouldn't really know what to say. Imagine asking an an attorney, what's the most important law that one would keep? And he'd be like, I'm not really sure that there's one that's important. There's some that are pretty pretty several that, that are important. And so he comes to Jesus and says, which is the most important law in all of the scriptures? And now he thinks to himself, if he can trick Jesus into saying that one is better than the other, he'll have him in a trap. And he'll have to deny that the rest of the law is really important. And Jesus obviously cannot be tricked, cannot be trapped. Uh, Knew what the guy was going to ask before he ever even asked. At verse number 37, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment. If you're in a habit of writing your Bible, and I highly recommend that you do, you need to circle verses uh, 37, 38, and 39. These are, are critical verses to us as Christians. 
the most important law. The greatest commandment in all of the Bible is this, that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Every fiber of your being, love God. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Imagine Jesus being able to say, hey, all of Scripture, the law and the prophets, could be summarized in these two commandments. Love God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. That's it. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what God has called us as Christians to do. And notice the the law or the commandments that he gives aren't don't do this, don't do that. He says this, love. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. That love actually fixes a lot of the things that are broken. Love, it tells us about God's character. Love was displayed by Jesus Christ. Love is supposed to be the way that all of Jesus' followers live their life. And it's so important that Jesus said this. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Your love one for another. This is how everybody will know that you're my follower, by the way that you love. And today, today we're taking a look out of the title of today's message, The Church, The Conduit of God's Love. We've taken a look over the last several weeks at the word that's used for church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. And that word ekklesia means a called out assembly. And the idea is that it's a group of people that were a part of one group before that were taken out of that group and now placed into a separate group together. And so we were just in a very simple way, we were called out of this world and we were placed into the church. How were we done that? Because of what Jesus has done for us and by our faith and repentance in Jesus Christ as Savior. We were automatically taken out of the world and placed into the church. Now, the church has local gatherings of believers, like what we have together this morning. Today, across the world, hundreds and thousands of churches will gather together to worship Jesus and to carry out the mission of the church. And so we are called out of this world. And if we're looking in the context of today's uh, passage of Scripture, what are we called out to do? We're called out to love. But you look at last week with how we carry out the Great Commission, and that's really important, and the church is the keeper of the gospel. It's our job to preach Jesus Christ crucified for the sins of mankind. But we need to ask ourselves the question, how do people see the love of God? How do people see the love of God? Do they see it in our lives? Do they just, can you just look out in the world and see God's love? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But you can always see God's love through the church. The church loves in a distinct way. The church should be different in the way that we love one another. How do people feel the love of God around them? I hope they feel the love of God through his church. I hope whenever you came to who we call a Baptist church, you felt automatically that there were people around here uh, that cared about you, that loved you, that really took an interest in you. If you didn't, I'm sorry, we're going to do better. But I've often said that when people come to who we call a Baptist church, who we call is not the right church for everybody, and I am the first one to admit that. Some people are looking for different things, and that's okay. It doesn't make them, uh, them right or us wrong or anything like that. It just means they need something different, and that's okay. But if you come to Huikala and you say, that church isn't for me, I want you to walk away being able to say two things. First of all, they preach the Bible there. 
I, I knew what the Bible said because I was there. And second of all, they loved me. Those two things, I would say, were doing exactly what we need to do. I told them what the Bible said, and I felt loved there. You might come here and not like our music. You might come here and not like our children's ministry program. You might come here and not like the, the, the preacher or the content or the way that the content was delivered, but you should not be able to walk away without saying, I heard the word of God, and people loved me. That's the idea of what the church does. If people will feel loved, they'll feel loved through us. If your workplace will feel the love of God, how will they feel it? They'll feel it by the way that you choose to live your life. How do people experience the love of God? They experience the love of God through the church. It's about showing people what the love of God looks like. And how will people know the love of God, that God loved them so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for their sins? How will they know that? We will show them, we will tell them. That's what the church does. And if there is an absence of God's love in this world, let me just tell you, it is the church's fault. It's our fault. We gotta take responsibility for that. Too often, the church has stood by for uh, being able to just get together, sing some songs on Sunday, and go home and call it good until next week. That was never the intention of the church. Sometimes churches get by by, by uh, creating an entertainment uh, cycle. Never the intention of the church. The church was always to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the love of God personified in every single community. It's important to understand just by way of introduction this morning, first of all, God is love. The Bible talks of God's love again and again and again all throughout Scripture. We find that love was personified in the person of Jesus Christ. The perfectness of God became a man and was Jesus Christ. You see, love is not one of the things that God does. Love is who God is. Love isn't just what God does. God just not, doesn't happen to be loving in addition to everything else. No, he is love. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath towards us because God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. You see, love is an attribute of God. We would say that God is holy, God is perfect and without sin. We would say that God is omnipotent or all-powerful. That's an attribute of God. We would say that God is omnipresent. He's all places at all times. We would say that God is omniscient or he is all-knowing. There's nothing that God does not know. We would say that God is immutable or unchanging. These are all attributes of God. But one of the attributes of God also is love. God is love. And when you and I can mirror the attributes of God, we will mirror God's love towards people. There are certain attributes of God that we refer to as non-communicable. In other words, these belong to God and God alone. Uh, for the example, the fact that God is eternal. God is without beginning and God is without end. That is an attribute of God that he doesn't share with anybody else. If you have that attribute of being eternal without beginning or without end, that means that you are God. And there are only three people who have that attribute. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all without beginning and are all without end. 
again, holiness or being without sin is an attribute that only belongs to God. Omnipresence and omniscience is something that only belongs to God. Even Satan, as powerful as he might be, and he is powerful, know this, he is not all places at all times. He is not all-knowing. He has limitations because he is not God. But God has certain communicable attributes that he shares with those that are his children. And one of those is love. Another one of those is joy. Another one of those is peace. Another one of those is long-suffering. We talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God gives us his character for us to share and for us to mirror or show to other people. And God doesn't give them to us for our own well-being. That's a nice side benefit, but God gives those attributes to us. God gives us those benefits to be used for his glory to mirror how good God is. Because God is love, one cannot truly know love without first knowing God. It's important to understand that you and I cannot understand the depths of what true love looks like unless we first of all see it on the cross of what Jesus Christ has done, see what sacrificial, unconditional love looks like. We also cannot experience love until we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Uh, Galatians chapter five, verse number 22, uh, begins with the fruit of the Spirit is, the very first one is what? Love. Very first thing that the Holy Spirit will begin to produce in the life of a believer, love. So we can't truly know love until we know God is our Father, Jesus Christ is our Savior. And you might be sitting here for a second saying, wait, 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 wait. I know some really loving people that don't know Jesus. I know some really loving people that aren't Christians. I'm just saying to you that they cannot know the depths of love. You see, our world has a different standard of what love looks like. That's why you and I as the church, if we are called out of this world and called to the church, called to Jesus, the word sanctified or set apart for a specific use, we're called out of an old way of loving. You see, the world has a way of loving that is kind of the old way for you and I. We used to love this way. The world continues to love this way. But we don't do that anymore because we're different now. We're distinct. We're Christians now. You see, the world's love is performance-based. It's performance-based. <laughs> I've told the story many times before, but I'll tell it again. I remember the place where I stood on Pensacola Beach when I looked into my uh, girlfriend at the time, her eyes, Angela, and I said to her, I love you. And I, it took, man, all the, the guts that I could muster in that moment to say those words because once those words leave your lips, you can't ever get them back, and then you don't know if it's going to be reciprocated, and you don't know, you know, am I setting myself up for failure? Is this going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me? Spoiler alert, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, but as I said those things to her, and I really meant it, and from the depths of my heart, I meant that I loved her. I wasn't communicating undying, unconditional love at that moment. I was simply affirming her loveliness. It was a performance-based love that I was expressing that day. I love the way that you make me feel. I love the way that you look. I love the way that you treat me. I love the way that you do things for me. I love the things that you say to me. I love the way that you do things for me. 
Now, there's many people that I dated before my wife that I didn't say those words to. You know why? Because they didn't make me feel that way. They didn't meet the criteria for the performance that I was looking for. And the world's type of love is 100% performance-based. Because when you don't treat me the way that I want to be treated, when you're not kind to me, when you don't say good words to me, when you don't make me feel the way that I want to, I don't love you anymore. One of the most heartbreaking things to ever hear from uh, a married couple is we've just fallen out of love. (laughs) Please understand, love was not something that you fell into, therefore you cannot fall out of it. And love is a choice that we must make. It is not (laughs) performance-based. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 6, verse number 32, For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love them that love them. If you do good to them that do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also even do the same. Oh, you love people that love you? Congratulations, who doesn't do that? Oh, you're nice to the people who are nice to you? Yeah, who doesn't do that? You're kind to the people that are kind to you? Yeah, so what? Jesus says, that's not the type of love that I'm calling you to. I'm not calling you to love the easy to love people. I'm not calling you to love the people that are are nice to you or kind to you or, or express the right type of feelings, emotions, and actions towards you. No, 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 that's not what I'm calling you to. The world's love is also emotion-based. Again, people feel like they can fall in it and fall out of it. It's all about the feelings that I have. I love the way that you make me feel. I love the feelings that I have when I'm with you. And again, sometimes people say, Pastor, we just seem to have lost the spark in our marriage. Uh, I get where you're coming from from that. Maybe there's some things that we need to work through. But love is not based on emotions. And many, many times throughout life, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your workplace, we must choose to love despite our feelings. It doesn't matter how I feel. I choose to love. But the world is very emotion-based in its love. The world's love is very convenience-based. I'm willing to love you until it costs me something. As long as it's convenient for me and doesn't really cost me a lot, I'm willing to love you. But at what point I've got to sacrifice something to to love you? Uh, Not so much. And again, I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from a couple and tried to help them in their marriage, and and one of them will say something completely, totally foolish. And please just know, if you ever say these words, you're thinking foolishly. Don't I deserve to be happy? Meaning, uh, can I leave my spouse because I deserve to be happy? No, friend, let me just tell you, you don't want to talk about what you deserve. You deserve to be obedient to Christ. You deserve to make good on the vow that you made before God. Uh, You deserve to follow God's plan. That's where the good stuff comes from. People say, I'm willing to love you as long as you make loving you easy. Sometimes I sing that beautiful song to my wife. Loving you is easy because you're beautiful. She's easy to love, right? What happens when she's not so easy to love? What do you do then? Many people bail. Hey, I'm looking for an easier way. Is there any either path? Maybe there's somebody out there that's easier to love than this person is. And again, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it and take care of it. You know, if you got weeds in your garden, pull them. Easy, you know. If the grass is getting brown, water it. This is a no-brainer. 
But the world's type of love is very convenience-based. I'm willing to love you as long as it doesn't cost me anything. And we even see that in our world today where people don't really want to get involved in anything or make a difference. They just want to change you know, their, their, their profile photo on their social media for a day and say that they've done something great. They want to jump on the latest hashtag trend and hashtag something or steal somebody else's photo that they posted and, and feel like they're making a difference because it's very convenience-based. It's really easy to do something like that. It's very difficult to say, hey, I choose to love, pray, give, serve, and invest in people's lives. That's difficult. That costs us something. And the world says, no, I'm not really about that. I'm willing to do whatever I can as long as it doesn't cost me anything. I'm willing to love you as long as it doesn't get in the way of what I really want. And I just want to be happy. I just want what I want. And at whatever point you can't provide that for me, I'm going to bounce you and find the next place that can. Unfortunately, I found people uh, have the same attitude even towards the local church. That I'm willing to be a part of this body of believers until somebody hurts my feelings. I'm willing to be a part of this body of believers until I'm asked to take my, uh, my commitment to the next level. I'm willing to be a part of, uh, of a group as long as it meets my needs. Is the service time right for me? <laughs> I love it. Somebody had told us, uh, told me a couple weeks ago. They said, uh, "Hey, Pastor, we um, we wanted to be sensitive to the people who had kids, and so we we came. We don't have kids, and so we came to the eight o'clock service uh, because we wanted to leave the ten o'clock service open for people who had kids." And I said, "Well, that was nice." He said, "Yeah, but it was too early, so we're not going to do it next week." <laughs> he said. I'm just going to admit it, Pastor, we're selfish, and 8 o'clock is way too early to come to church, and so we're going to the 10 o'clock service, and if people with kids don't come, I just wish they pre-registered earlier. <laughs> and I love that attitude. At least you're being honest. I get it. But the idea is this. Many times people say, well, you know, I, I go to this church because they have a better uh, service time. I, I like this church because they have uh, 8 o'clock service, and I can get church out of the way and then have the rest of my day to myself. <laughs> that is a flawed mentality of the Lord's day. I like this church because they have a you know, really short message, really, really good music, and that really scratches my itch. I was willing to be a part of this church until somebody asked me to do something that I wasn't really ready to do or asked me to serve in ministry or asked me to join the church or maybe to, uh, pastor was talking about giving twice a year. You know, I just don't want to make that level of commitment, so I found something else instead. And people have this conven- convenience-based love even towards the local church. And let me just tell you this. If you hang around who we call long enough, somebody's going to say something to hurt your feelings Somebody's going to disappoint you, and somebody uh, might even do something that would be considered sinful. You know why? Because it's a church made up of imperfect people. But if you are willing to love with an unconditional love, if you're willing to do the hard stuff, sometimes people have said before, like, oh, Pastor, I've got a problem with so-and-so. Great, let's sit down and talk about it. No, I don't want to talk about it with them. No, you need to. I don't really feel right about that. You have to. The Bible says that we, if we have a problem with somebody, you've got to go to them and talk to them. I'd just rather find another church than to go to them and talk to them. You can't do that. The Bible says you can't. You've got to talk to them. You've got to hash it out. I know, I just feel awkward. Again, we're talking about convenience. It's inconvenient to love the way that Jesus loves. But we're required to in God's word. And so we're called out of an old way of loving and we're called into a new way of loving. This type of love doesn't make sense to the world that we live in. Everything that we talked about completely and totally categorizes the love of this world. It's performance-based, it's emotion-based, it's convenience-based, but God's called us out of that kind of loving. No, 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 you're different now. Now you're gonna show people what real love looks like because God's love is unconditional. 
unconditional. No conditions on it whatsoever. I choose to love you. Well, I hate your guts. That's fine. I still love you. I think that your religion is a sham. That's okay. I choose to love you anyways. Religion is a crutch for weak people. That's okay. I'm going to continue to love you and pray for you. Well, you know, I believe that, that you know, people like you are actually, that's fine. I choose to love you anyways. It's an unconditional love. I don't love you because of what you can do for me. I love you because God commanded me to. For some of you, it might have been awkward to be here at Huikala for, for a little while and, some, and somebody say, or even your pastor say to you, hey, I love you and I'm praying for you. Ooh, that's kind of weird. It's not weird to me. You know why? Because God commanded us to love one another. And if I don't love you, that's a sin on my part. And again, depending on where you come and the, 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 the connotation that those words carry might mean something to you, but I just want you to know that at Huikala, you're loved unconditionally. That love based on how good you are or how well you perform or how often you come to church or how much you give or how many people you lead to Christ. Not love based on any of those criteria whatsoever. You're loved because you're created in the image of God and God loves you and we do too. Simple as that. God's love is completely and totally without condition. Romans chapter 8, verse number 38. The Apostle Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I can't think of anything in the world that would separate us from God's love. I just can't. Not height, not depth, not powers, no principalities, nothing here in the present, and nothing that would ever come in the future that could ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's it. There's nothing that could ever separate us from God's love because God's love is unconditional. And friend, let me just help you out with this today. When we fall into sin and we choose to sin and choose to rebel against God, the devil begins to mess with our mind and say things like, well, God doesn't love you anymore. (laughs) You know, how can you call yourself a child of God and act like this? Oh, man. To think that God would love somebody like you and, and then we begin to question God's love. Please understand this. Never question God's love for you. When you and I choose to sin against God, when we choose to rebel against God, know this, your heavenly father is disappointed, he's greatly grieved, it hurts his heart, but he never stops loving because his love is without condition. God's love requires action. God's love requires that we do something with the love that we have. It's not just words, it's not just talk. Again, it has nothing to do whatsoever with emotion. It's all action-based. That's why God can command it, because it's not feelings. God can't command you to be happy. You know why? Because happiness is an emotion. God can't command you to not be sad, because those are emotions. But he can command you to love, because that has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to, to do with what you do. When I choose to pray for those who actively oppose me, I'm choosing to love them despite that. When I have a kind word for someone who I know uh, isn't being kind towards me, that's me choosing to love them. When I'm going to treat someone with, with kindness and respect who maybe hates my God, that's me choosing to love them anyways. And so true love, it always begs to be expressed. It has to come out in some way. This past week was my uh, birthday. 
Thank you guys for recording those videos for me. I watched it a dozen times. It was the highlight of my birthday. It's one of the best things, best gifts I've ever received in my entire life, by far. That was an act of love on your part where you took time to record a video. And uh, it was funny, Thatcher said, Dad, I sent out the, the email and it said in bold, just say happy birthday. Just say that. And he goes, and I got people going on like five minutes. Like, Pastor, thank you for this. Thank you for that. I remember this. I remember that. And he goes, man, I had to edit all that out. And it felt bad about it. And he said, so all the videos unedited, are, I put them in a Dropbox folder for you to watch. And man, I haven't gotten around to those yet, but I'm going to. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. What was that? That was people expressing love for me, not just in words, but in taking the time. Got a call from a, a friend who lives out of the country last night. Just said, uh, hey, just want to check in on you, see how you're doing. That was an act of love on his part. It was an action that he took. You know, uh, this past weekend, we, we celebrated my birthday together as a family. My wife made a cake, and it was glorious. Oh, it was so good. She got super premium ice cream from Costco. If you've never had it, you're missing out. It's good. It was an act of love on her part. What if she had just said, happy birthday, love you? That would have been great. But she wanted to express it in a real, tangible way. Anybody can say words. We need action to back it up. And so God's love requires action on our part. We can't just sit back and, you know, say that we love. We got to do something with that. God's love, it's inconvenient. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is not the type of love that I'm willing to love you as long as it's easy on me because this is me choosing to love even when it's really, really difficult for me to love you. We'd gone to um, Lowe's, this is a couple years ago now, and um, I placed an online order. They sent me an email saying that um, my order is ready for pickup. I go to the service desk. I say, hey, I'm here to pick up my online order. Yeah, we'll send you an email when it's ready. I've already got the emails right here. Okay, just wait. Okay, so I waited. And I'm standing there for like 30 minutes or so. And I think to myself, while I'm standing there, I could have went and get my, gotten my own stuff and brought it up to the front and just checked out a lot easier than I could have just showed up to the store and picked my stuff up. So I'm standing there. I'm trying to have a good attitude. And uh, the guy behind the desk, I, I said, hey, I just want to check on the status of my online order. I told you I'd call you when it's ready. Okay can I just go grab my stuff off the shelf and like show it to you? And then, like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that because we've already began pulling your order. There's like three things here. You haven't started pulling anything yet. Are you saying I'm a liar? Whoa, 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 whoa. And like in me immediately, man, my blood begins to boil. Like, first of all, I didn't give you any attitude. You're giving me attitude. Second of all, don't raise your voice at me. And third of all, this guy's like all of like four and a half feet tall. I think to myself, like I'm imagining in my mind, like, dude, are you serious? And like, I'm within like seconds of just letting him know, hey, bro, first of all, don't talk to me like that. Second of all, cancel my order. Third of all, I'm going to Home Depot and I'll never see you again. I don't care. Within seconds of that. And like, as he's talking to me like that, I put my head down like this and I look and I'm wearing a Hui Kala Baptist Church polo. And I think to myself, oh, my soul. And so then, then I like fold my hands like this. And, no, I didn't do that. I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, though, like, I can't tell this guy exactly what I think right now because I'm wearing a church name on my shirt. What kind of idiot does that? I'm the idiot. So what did I have to do? I had to be kind. Hey, no problem, man. I'll just, I'll just look around for a while. How will I know when it's ready? We'll send you an email. Well, that's the thing. I've already gotten the email. I told you we'd send you. Okay, that's fine. And uh, I just canceled my online order, went and bought my stuff and left. Done. 
We have to choose to love when it's inconvenient. One of our men had gone to his son's Little League baseball game, and he said the umpire was absolutely terrible, and so he's standing up yelling at the umpire and, and stuff like that, and the umpire stops the game and turns around and goes, sit down or you're going to get kicked out. And he's like, oh, fine. So he sits down, and his wife leans over and says, you probably shouldn't have worn your hui kala hat today. And he's just like, oh, no. And so he said, after the game, I went up to the umpire and said, hey, it got the best of me today. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And he's like, no sweat, man. I know what it's like having kids playing sports and stuff like that. He said, no, it wasn't right. I want to apologize for that. Why do we do stuff like that? It's inconvenient. It requires us to swallow our pride. It requires us to sometimes apologize when we didn't even really do anything wrong. Why do we do that? Because that's what God's love does. Take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 4. Charity or love suffereth long and is kind. It envieth not, it vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. This is what God's love does. It just waits. It's kind. Thinketh not its own. You know what that means? I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about God's glory. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about how this would reflect on my group of people in my community, in my family that I call my church. I'm worried about that. I'm less concerned with how I feel. God's love is incredibly, incredibly inconvenient. It's important to understand that all love flows from the heart of God. Verse number 37 in our text this morning, Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It's important to understand that he didn't say love everybody else and then love God. No, no, he said love God first because that allows us to be able to love other people. When we put God in his rightful place as first in our life, when we say that God is the most important to us, when we say that I love God above everything else, then our priorities get shifted around so that God's in the rightful place at that point. You see, we have to love God first to truly see his heart. We have to understand who God is and how God loves Again, you need to read the Gospels, uh, and maybe you say, well, I've read the Gospels before. Read the Gospels and see how Jesus treats people. That'll change your life. To see that there were people that hated his guts, and you know what Jesus did? He chose to, to love them. He chose to bless them. People were out to kill Jesus, and you know what he did? He just left. People wanted to start a fight with Jesus. Can you imagine trying to start a fight with God himself? Like, dude, you are so outclassed. You are so outmatched. You would get smoked in a split second. And you know what Jesus did? He just excused himself. Hey, guys, I'm going to get out of here. Things get a little bit hot right now. How many times are you and I willing to walk away when somebody bows up to us or when somebody says something unkind? How many times do we roll our sleeves up and get ready to throw down? No, Jesus says, ah, I don't need this right now. Just take a look at how Jesus interacts with people. It's always with an other's person focus. And so we got to know who God is to really know how God loves. First John chapter 4, verse number 12 says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. 
It says here that we're able, we have the capacity to love other people because God is at work in us. I can love others because I've experienced the love of God. His spirit is in me. That allows me to be able to love other people. And let me just tell you this, your capacity to love others is 100% dependent upon your relationship with God. If your relationship with God is messed up, let me just tell you, your marriage is gonna be messed up. Your relationship with your coworkers is gonna be messed up. Your relationship with your neighbor is gonna be messed up because we can't be right with everyone else and be wrong with God at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. I gotta be right with God so I can be right with others. I gotta love God so that I can love others. And so everything flows from this. This is why we make such a big deal about read your Bible, spend time in the Word, spend time with God, continue the process of discipleship, continue to grow in your Christian wall, continue to know God more, look for ways that you can praise God every single day, look for ways that you can give God glory, share God's goodness with other people. Why? Because the more that we love God, the greater capacity we have to be able to love other people as well. Once we experience the love of God, then we can love others appropriately. <laughs> the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians that we shouldn't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Speaking in the context of, of marriage, that basically Christians shouldn't marry non-Christians. And so for that reason, and a multitude of others, as a pastor, I will never marry two individuals where both of them are not Christians. As a pastor... I won't marry two people if they're not Christians. Both of them are Christians. And again, people get really bent out of shape about this uh, marriage equality and, you know, uh, churches won't marry, you know, uh, people of the same sex. Hey, look, they probably don't know. I wouldn't marry two people that aren't Christians. You want to talk about who has the right to get married? I wouldn't marry two people that aren't Christians. I've had people come to me before and say, oh, Pastor, I want to marry this guy, but he's not a Christian. Sorry, don't do it. Run from it. I won't have any part in it. I'll counsel you against it. And if you do it, you're disobeying God. Simple as that. The Bible commands that. Why? One of the reasons is this. One person understands God's love and the other person has no idea what God's love is. One person has experienced the unconditional love and grace of God and the other person has never experienced God's love and grace, ever. And so we're coming at something like a marriage, which is a picture of Jesus Christ and his church, which is another reason why uh, a believer shouldn't marry an unbeliever. And we're coming to this beautiful union that pictures how much Jesus loves his church. And one person understands God's love and the other person has no clue as to what God's love even means. And so our capacity to be able to understand God's love comes from the way that God's love was shown for us. If we love God, We'll love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves. Verse number 39, the second's like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's important to understand we don't love our neighbor the way that we love God. God's in a different level by himself. Jesus said this, your love for others, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your kids, should appear as hatred to compare to the way that you love God. Your love for God should be on the next level. And so we're not called to love our neighbor the way that we love God. It's interesting we're called to love our neighbor the way that we would love ourselves. It's interesting that the standard for our love for others is how much we love 
ourselves. And sometimes people look at this and they go, well, pastor, I, I hate myself. I, I don't love myself at all. You know, I, I believe I'm a miserable, terrible human being. I have horrible self-confidence, horrible self-esteem. And I just, every day I think about how much I hate myself. Well, first of all, the only person that you're thinking about every single day is who? Yourself. Why do you spend so much time thinking about someone that you hate so much? Why do you spend so much time concerned about how you feel or what other people think of you or how people perceive you or how people treat you? You know why? Because at the depths of that is what we would call pride, which is self-love. And all the times that you think about what people think about you, how people treat you, how people feel towards you, you need to be thinking about how you treat others, how you feel about others, how you perceive others. That's what Jesus is saying here. You need to think about everybody else the way that you think about yourself. Hey, when I'm hungry, you know what I think about? What do I want to eat? When I'm tired, you know what I think of? When do I get to go to bed? When I feel like sleeping in, you know what I think? What do I have to do to squeeze a couple of more minutes out of the alarm clock today? When I feel like going somewhere, I think to myself, when am I going to be able to go there? You know why? Because I'm concerned about me. But when I flip the script, I begin thinking about others all the time. I'm going to think about, you know, for if our family's going to, to lunch today, I'm not going to say, what do I want? Here's what I want. You guys can get on board with that. And think, hey, what does everybody else want? When I think about the time that I want to spend, that maybe I get home from work and I just, I'm exhausted, I'm wiped out, I'm mentally drained, I just want to lay down, I want to sit in the recliner, I want to doze off, I need to think to myself, wait a minute, there's people in this house that are counting on me. I have kids that have been waiting for dad to get home all day and here dad is and now he's checked out. I can't think about that. I got to think about the people that I love and I've got to invest in them because it's not about me. There's been times before where I've said to my wife, hey, I'm going to go I just got home from work. I'm going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to take a nap. And when I get up, I'm, I'm everybody else's. It's fine. There's times where I want to go to bed, but I haven't spent quality time with my wife today. So I'm going to carve out time to spend with her. There's times where I need to uh, take someone through the process of discipleship, either having coffee or sitting down and going through our uh, discipleship curriculum. And I'm absolutely exhausted, wiped out, don't feel like doing it. But I say, I choose to do this because I love this person. <laughs> no lie. I think it was uh, two weeks ago, Wednesday night. It's about 6.30. Uh, our connect group started at 7 o'clock. I'm leading the Anchor Journey uh, group during this time online. And so it was like 6.30. I am teetotally smoked. I mean, my, 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 I can't think straight. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Uh, I've eaten snacks all day. I haven't even had a meal today. And I'm just exact, absolutely exhausted. And I think to myself, right now all of our connect groups are online. You go to whoecallit.church slash small groups and you click on a link and it'll take you to your group for the night, right? I had a genius idea. I'm just gonna change the link on our group and I'm gonna send everybody over to Thatcher's group. And everybody be like, well, what are we doing in Thatcher's group? I thought we were going, joining pastor's group. And Thatcher would be like, my, my group just like doubled in size tonight. This is awesome, right? But I thought to myself, nobody cares. People came to go to a group. They didn't come to my group. Whether they go to, to his group or my group or Larry's group, I don't care. Look, I, I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. I need a night off. But you know what I thought to myself? It's not about me. How do I get to serve? How do I get to, to 
pour into the lives of the people that I call family. You know what I did? Made myself a cup of coffee, grabbed something to eat, got myself together, sat down, and it was an absolutely incredible time. We spent, man, an hour and a half just talking about God's goodness and his faithfulness and his blessings, and we talked about God's word together. It was, it was a sweet, sweet time. I would have missed out on all of that if I'd been selfish. And let me just tell you, I was this close to being pulling the selfish trigger. So close. But God's called us to live others-focused. Love is always others-focused. John chapter 15, verse number 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. True love is never about me and what I get from it. True love is always about what can I give? How can I give back? When we receive the offering every single week, I say the exact same thing. If you're a guest with us here today, we do not invite you to give. But for those of us that call who we call our church home, one of the ways we worship God is through our tithes, our offerings, and our first forgiving. This is our opportunity to tell God how much we love Him. It's worship. Giving is worship. Is it inconvenient to take a portion of what God's given me and give back to Him? On the surface, it would appear that way. Is it inconvenient to dice up my budget in such a way that I give to the Lord through His church? Maybe so, but I have found a, a, to a point now where it's no longer convenient. Now it's exciting. Now it's a joy to be able to give. Why? Because my love for God has changed. One person said it several weeks ago, we were talking about the local church and what it meant to them. It was on one of our Zoom calls and it struck me and I wrote down what, what she said. She said, who we call is a people who love God so much that they love people so well. I thought to myself, that perfectly embodies what Jesus is talking about here. A people who love God so much that they love people so well. So this is one of the friendliest, most loving, caring church families I've ever been a part of in my life, and I would second that notion by far. But it's all about loving God and loving others. You see, love has very little to do with self. Love does not say, what can I get out of this? Love does not say, what's my angle? Love does not say, how can I benefit from this? Love says, it's all about God first, and then it's all about you. And that is a completely and totally opposite view of what the world calls love today. It's important to understand that a love for God and a hatred for our fellow man cannot exist. We, uh, from a very, very young age, have taught our kids we don't use the word hate in our house. It's just something that, that Christians don't do. Now, we can say we hate the devil. That's okay. The devil can be on the receiving end of our hatred. We don't love the devil. We don't pray for the devil. I met a, a guy one time who uh, had prayed for something. It was some guy, I think it was a church camp or something like that. And he prayed a prayer for, for dinner or something like that. And at the end of his prayer, he says, Lord, we pray for those who don't yet know Jesus. We pray for the salvation of the devil. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me? Did you just pray for the salvation of the devil? I did. I believe God can save everybody. I do too, but I also believe that God can't violate his word. And the Bible says that he's going to be defeated. He's going to be cast into hell. There's nothing anybody can do to change that. Well, I know God's gracious. God's gracious, but he can't violate his word. Good grief. So if you're going to hate somebody, hate the devil. He's cursed. He's done with. He's over. He's finished. Hate the devil. Hate sin. Man, I hate sin. Sin wrecks lives. Sin ruins fellowship with God. Hate sin. We've never 
ever, ever allow our kids to say that they hate another person. Hatred and love cannot coexist. They don't go together. Simple as that. And so hatred towards a fellow man cannot coexist with the love of God. If there's a shred of hatred in your heart towards another person, you need to confess it and repent before God. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath seen? You can't say that you hate somebody and you love God at the same time. The Bible says you're a liar. So hatred towards any other person just can't be. Well, what about this person who did me wrong? Pray for them, love them. The Bible says we should pray for those who despitefully use us. When people are unkind to us, do we have a right to hate them? No, we have a right to love them more and pray for them. I've been, again, deeply grieved by the things that are taking place in our country. Deeply grieved. So much hatred towards individuals, groups of people. And all of it, the root of it is hate. Every single bit of it. And again, please understand that racism is a sin if there's a shred of racism in your heart, you need to repent to God and ask him to change your heart. Simple as that. You got to. Generalization of any one group of people always leads to much error. When we say that all cops are corrupt, all Democrats are idiots, all Republicans are, are X, we, we run into to very, very dangerous territory when we do that. Are there corrupt cops? Definitely. Are there corrupt Christians? Definitely. We can't say all Christians are corrupt. We can't say that, that all churches are corrupt. We can't say that all politicians are dirty. Here's one of the worst things that happens is being a part of the family of God. I have met some of the finest Christian men that I've ever known in my entire life, and you know what their profession is? They're attorneys. Can you believe that? Like, it ruined every single good lawyer joke that I've ever had in my entire life because all the lawyers that I know are solid dudes. I hate it. I hate it. So we can't broad brush people into a particular group. That's not fair to anyone. And so just like I wouldn't want to say that everyone's of X descent is this type of person, I wouldn't want somebody to say all Christians are this or all pastors are that. And so please understand, we cannot get caught up in all the garbage that's going on around us. That We can't be, be sucked into the hatred that's taking place in our world. We need to expel that hatred with God's love. Darkness, the only answer to it is light. That's it. And so I refuse to get caught up into this. I believe that every single person's life matters. I believe that there are great injustices that are taking place against black people today. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I believe there's great injustices that are taking place against police officers today. I hate it with every fiber of my being. The things that are, people are saying about our country, about our politicians, about our president, I hate it because it's divisive and it hurts the heart of God. I just want to be loving. And let me just say, if you don't agree with my viewpoint, I want to hear your viewpoint, I want to validate it, I want to love you through it. It goes for anybody. We might not see eyeball to eyeball and everything, and here's the thing, uh, we don't have to. I just want you to know that I love you with God's love, and however you feel that's valid to you is valid to you. I get it. But I want to be loving through this. I refuse to be divisive. I refuse to allow race, ethnicity, cultural backgrounds to, to cloud 
my love for people and my love for God. I just cannot afford it. You can't either. Unfortunately, racism is alive and well in the state of Hawaii. I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. But I choose to love instead. I choose to make a difference instead. I'm not just going to gripe about it. I'm not going to get on Facebook and post stuff. I'm just going to choose to love people and treat everyone with kindness, dignity, and respect. We had a, a man uh, this past week that uh, had jumped over the defense uh, of our atrium and decided to take a siesta on one of our couches outside this week. And so uh, about 5 a.m. he was discovered by me. Um, and he was sitting out there with an, a big, huge yellow axe handle in his hand. That's an exciting thing to wake up to in the morning. I called the police, asked him to, to remove him. And you know what I did? Went in and prayed for the guy. I don't know what he's got going on, but the fact that you'd be living on the streets, you need to sleep somewhere on a couch at night, and you need to feel like you need to protect yourself by carrying an axe handle around. The police officer said he had 27 prior convictions. <laughs> that guy is just a career criminal. What caused that in his life? I'll tell you this, he didn't know the love of God. He didn't know the love probably of a mom or dad who really cared for him. He probably didn't have a, a community of people around him to say, bro, stop doing this. Clean your life up. Get back on track. And it hurt my heart that that's where this guy was at. You know what I did? I prayed for him. I'm no ill will towards him. I'm not angry at him. I don't hate his guts or anything. The heart of God is always others' focus. It's always about other people. Racism itself is not even a new issue. Racism took place in the Bible believe it or not. And racism isn't a black versus white issue. It's not a people of color versus a people of no color issue. It's a good versus evil issue. That I either choose to love people the way that God intended to, or I choose to love them with a selfish, worldly love that if you meet my criteria, I'm willing to love you. If you don't meet my criteria, I don't love you. And there's not a place in God's family for those types of things. God's love for mankind was displayed at the cross. Again, greater love hath no man than this, that he that laid down his life for his friends. Jesus says that we are his friends because we do what he said. And Jesus laid down his life for us, showed us the ultimate display of love by giving his life for the sins of mankind. Because we had broken our relationship with God, because we were on our way to a Christless hell, because we were in danger of God's wrath and judgment, God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die. Again, John 3.16 sums up how to love. For God so loved the world, the hateful, ugly, rejecting, self-centered, selfish, hate-filled world, he loved it so much that he gave. Gave what? His best. His son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God's love was put on perfect display on that cross on Calvary where Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind. He died for my sins. He died for yours. He died for every single person of every single ethnicity worldwide. And God's love was perfectly displayed on the cross. One of the things that I absolutely hate, and I'll say this word, I hate it, is that people that use the Bible as a source to justify their racism. Stupid, stupid, stupid. 
We don't let our kids say stupid either, but I just said it. <laughs> White supremacists who want to use the Bible. Do you even realize that Jesus was a Jew? <laughs> like, have you read the Bible? How can you be anti-Semitic yet at the same time claim to love Jesus? Jesus was a Jew. Really? And Jesus died not for Jews, not for Gentiles, but for the, the sins of mankind. The cross completely and totally does away with the idea of any type of race or class or uh, cultural exclusions. It doesn't work that way. 1 John 4.10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the blood covering for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world, the Bible says. Final thoughts here this morning. First of all, love doesn't allow me to exclude those that are not lovely. I have to be able to love the unlovable because that's what God commands me to do. Love doesn't allow me to say, well, that person is not a very loving person. I would love that person, but do you know what they've done to me? Do you know what they've said about me? It's hard. I've had people who have said unkind, untrue things about me. And I'm, I'm a big boy. I can let a lot roll off. Um, and it doesn't really bother me that much when people say things about my wife, people say things about my kids, every fiber of my being wants to take you out to the parking lot and give you exactly what you've asked for. But you know what I have to do? I have to choose to love. What about those that are unlovely or those that are unkind? Yep, I choose to love them too. Love doesn't allow me to exclude those that behave inappropriately. What about these people that are living in sin? That's fine, I choose to love them anyways. What about these people that, you know, hate God? I choose to love them, and I pray that they'll come to the truth. This one's hard for me, too. What about people who perpetuate false religion? Mm. It's terrible because they're sending people to hell. But the Bible says they've been blinded by the God of this world. They don't know any better. They're just doing what Satan has enticed them to do. And I feel terrible for them, and I pray for them. Love does not allow me to exclude those that are different from me. I don't get to choose to love people that are just like me. I don't get to choose to love people that, you know, fit my socioeconomic background or my cultural upbringing or people that look like me. Or I love the people that have the same, you know, hobbies that I have or same interests that I have. No, 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 no. It's way different than that. You're different than me, I love you. Love doesn't allow me to exclude people that believe differently than, than me. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I still love you and I hope that you'll come to recognize the truth. If you reject the Bible as God's word, I still love you, I just wanna help you find the truth. <laughs> we had some sweet, sweet, fine Christian people that were part of our church in the early days. And um, they grew up in an ultra-conservative church, ultra-conservative. Um, and he came to me, he said, Pastor, I'm kind of in a dilemma. He said, I've got a, a coworker who I've been witnessing to, and uh, my wife invited her over for dinner um, to kind of share the gospel with her and stuff like that. And she said, yeah, I'd love to come over. Can I bring my wife? And he goes, Pastor, I didn't know what to do. Like, I said, 
well, let me check with my wife and, and see what would be a good date for that. He goes, I don't know what to do. Can I have a gay married couple into my house for dinner? Bro, not only can you, you should have them over. And it's just like, well, I feel like that would be weird. Would it be weird for you to have a guy over that cheated on his taxes last year? Well, no, that wouldn't be weird. Yeah, it's not weird to have anyone who is struggling with sin in their life into your home. That's the only way that they'll know the love of God. How will these people hear the gospel unless the church does the job of sharing with them the gospel, the truth and love? Man, don't have people over to your house that are good, upstanding Christians that believe exactly the same way you do. Have sinners in your home. That's what Jesus would have done. People would say, have asked before, is who we call a, a gay-friendly church. Who we call is a people-friendly church. That's all I know. But just know this, anyone is welcome here. Anyone is welcome. But please understand, when you come, you will hear the Bible preached. And we're not going to apologize for that. And at some point, you're going to be confronted with the fact that what you're doing is wrong, and you're going to have to make a decision whether you choose to follow after God or follow after your own flesh. And again, that's not for gay couples. That's for, for unmarried couples that are cohabitating, who are living together. That's for uh, people that are you know, steeped in pornography. That's for the guy who's an alcoholic. That's for, for the lady who's dealing with prescription drug addiction. You are welcome here. You are loved here, but you cannot continue in your sin. I sometimes tell people, who we call is a church where you can come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. Hmm. Because all of us need to change. All of us need to grow. But we need a loving environment to be able to grow. I need to know that there are people around me that don't judge me for my sin. They just choose to love me instead. That they know that what I'm doing is wrong, but they choose to love me to Jesus. That's what it's about. It's not about looking down our nose at people or judging people or pointing out their sin. It's about loving them so that they'll come to know Jesus. And love does not allow me to, to chop off a group of people just because they don't believe the same way that I do. Jesus says, I want you to love everybody. Now, please understand, loving people does not mean condoning their sin. Woman caught in adultery. Everybody wants to stone her and put her to death because that's what the law said. And Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus turned to her and he said, neither do I condemn thee. In other words, I'm not gonna give you what you deserve. And he did not stop there though. He said, but go and sin no more. I'm not gonna condemn your sin, but I also cannot condone your sin. You gotta stop what you're doing. So it's not judgy, it's not judgment to say, I love you, but I just don't agree with, with the decision that you've made. Those are not at odds with each other. And we can tell people the truth in love. Bottom line, if people will know God's love, it will be because we showed it to them. People can read of the love of God in the Bible. The Bible's a beautiful story of God's love from cover to cover. You read through the book of John, you read through the book of Romans, you realize everything that Jesus has done for you because of his love for you, it's gonna blow your mind with how good God is. But being able to ration and reason the love of God in your mind versus experiencing the love of God from a kind word or a tender action or patience or kindness or grace or mercy, those are totally different. 
from just being able to know it here, but being able to experience it. So if people will know the love of God, it's gonna be because we showed it to them, because we lived it out, because they experienced it through us. The love of God. It's important to understand you can disagree with people and still treat them with love, kindness, and respect. Please, first of all, because of the love of God, secondly, because of the glory of God, and thirdly, because you're part of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Please do not get into arguments with people online. Please do not try to, to be ugly, catty, you know, any of that stuff. Don't get involved in online drama. There's enough of it going around. Christians shouldn't be involved in it. And that goes for every Christian who wants to get online and condemn every person. I've seen Christians say hateful things about police officers. I've seen Christians say hateful things about uh, people who live a homosexual lifestyle online. It's embarrassing. Don't be that person. If you're going to use your platform to speak, speak truth, speak love, speak kindness. Don't be divisive. Treat every single person with love, kindness, respect, even if you disagree with them. Again, if somebody has a conversation with me and they walk away, they might say, I don't believe what he said. That's fine. But they should be able to say that I treated them with love, kindness, and respect, and I heard them out and understood where they were coming from. Lastly, we fulfill the great commission by fulfilling the greatest commandment. Again, we talk about the, the mission of the church is to go win, baptize, teach, bring people to Jesus Christ, let people know that Christ has died for their sins and that he's resurrected, victorious over sin, death, and the grave so that they can have eternal life, so they can be adopted into the family of God. How do we get that message out? We do it by loving God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul. And then we love our neighbor the same way that we love ourselves. That's how we fulfill the Great Commission, through love. And Jesus says this was the greatest commandment, to love God and love our neighbor. And he went so far as to say this, on this hang all the law and the prophets. The whole Bible is summarized by the fact, love God, love other people. So we carry out the mission of the church in love. This is not a us against them mentality that, that, that we gotta put up a fight against these people. No, no, no. We're trying to lovingly draw them into our family. We're trying to nurture them to a right relationship with God. It's a person I've been witnessing to for months. And I talked to you just this past weekend. And I said, hey, on a scale of one to 100 percentage-wise, what percentage are you? would you say to coming to faith in Christ? He said, 76%. Man, I want to see you make it the rest of the way. And you know what I did? I had a word of prayer try to love, try to encourage. I didn't go, oh, I can't believe you don't believe. I can't believe that you're not willing to repent. I can't believe. No, no, no. It's not us against them. It's trying to lovingly draw them into God's family. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one to another. I want to love God so that I have the capacity to love others. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven. Maybe you've never experienced God's love, the love of a, your heavenly Father who wants to know you. You need to be saved today. You need to repent of your sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ today. Then you can really experience love that you can share with other people. Maybe there's somebody that you know that you may have been unkind or unloving to. You need to make that right with them. Hey, I'm sorry I was unkind. I'm sorry I was short. Sorry I was selfish. Sorry I handled that situation the way that I did. I shouldn't have done that. 
Maybe you'd go so far as to say, I have racist tendencies. I've said or done things in the past that would be considered hurtful to people. Would you repent of that and ask God to flush your heart of that? God forbid that we ever think that we're better than somebody else based on uh, our bank account, the color of our skin, where we were raised, anything like that. No. I'm a wretched sinner in great need of God's grace, just like everybody else. On the ground's level at the cross, Maybe there's somebody that you know that, you, that needs to know Jesus. You need to share your faith with them in a loving, kind, compassionate, caring way. And maybe you just need to hear them out. Let them talk. Oftentimes I tell people, sharing your faith with, not a, with another person is not sitting them down and giving them a five-point sales pitch. Many times it's a dialogue. It's a conversation. What do you think happens when we die? What do you think about the Bible? Who do you believe Jesus was? Explain that to me. And when people say things like, well, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. He wasn't the son of God. I go, well, that's not what the Bible says. I go, hmm, interesting. How'd you come to that? Well, that's interesting. I believe the Bible says this. I'm just trying to lovingly point them to Jesus. That's what it's all about. Whatever the case, I know this. The world could use a lot of love right now. I refuse to get involved in anything that is divisive. I'm willing to divide against false doctrine, false teaching. I'm willing to divide against hatred. I'm not willing to split hairs with well-meaning people. I want God's love to overshadow all this. Today's message is not a political message whatsoever. It's 100% biblical. I don't want to be involved in anything that would cause damage to the name of Christ or the name of the people that I call family, the local church. So let's live with God's glory in mind a love for God and a love for others in mind this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.